Sunday, we want to focus our gratitude on one another, on one another. We are so grateful for all of you that are here. For my family, we came during COVID. Uh, while we couldn't really get to know you because uh, it was all online and behind masks, but you showed up online. And then we moved here in the, the summer, and many of you showed up to help prepare our home. And as a family, uh, we've gone through my cancer journey, and many of you have been right there with us through it all. More so, you've invited us into the moments of your lives, the hardships of life, the highs, and everything in between. And we couldn't be more honored to be with you through it all. And while I say this, some of you will still feel like you maybe are on the outside of church here. Some of you will feel like you barely know us and you haven't got a chance to spend any time with us or any of the others around you. You may sit in the church here on a Sunday morning and, and look around and, and wonder, why am I not connected? Sometimes we can feel like we're really connected in some ways and yet be not connected at the same time. Those things can be true at the same time, but that's never what we want. We can feel like maybe we're the problem. Others don't want to hang out with us. We can feel like maybe they're the problem and we, we, don't, we don't want to hang out with them. Challenge is, is that there is a problem. Whether it's them, us, the church, whatever it is, there's a problem. And we need to deal with that. Now, in a larger sense, this has to do with something that affects all of our, our uh, community all of our, us as a culture. I uh, was listening to a leadership talk, and in that, he shared a story uh, from the summer that was both tragic and telling in regards to meaningful relationships and our often tenuous ability to hold them. In London, England, there was a lady named Sheila Celion, and she was found dead in her apartment. Unfortunately, it was two years after she had passed away. Even though her mail had piled up, her gas had been shut off, neighbors had, had endured bad smells, she was not noticed. Even a couple times, police had come to do a wellness check on her door, but hadn't made contact, yet somehow it had been reported that they had made contact and everything was fine. She had only an estranged brother in the city and the rest of her family was in South Africa. Talking to news reporters at the end of it, the superintendent of the building where she lived said this, that there were opportunities with hindsight where dots could have been joined up more quickly at the time. Dots could have been joined more quickly. It seems like the problem is so much bigger than that, doesn't it? Than just connecting dots. That it wasn't really about the processes of making sure everything's fine, but about the fact that there was no relationship. It's been said that our problem isn't simply the problem. We often don't have people to guide us through them, which is the true problem. We may have problems in life, but the bigger problem is that there's no one to walk with us through those problems, 
to help us get to the other side of them. And that often can be the bigger problem. When we're stuck, or they're stuck, there's no one to serve as a guide to help us see what we can't, to confront in us what we can't see. Whether it's the chicken or the egg, or whichever way it is, it leads to or stems from a lack of meaningful relationships. Sheila Selion suffered from a lack of meaningful relationships. And for us today, Jesus knew that this was a human problem. This was not just a one-off thing that somebody could be completely alone or disregarded. It could be one that we see in the church as well. And he had prayed specifically for his disciples, knowing that he was about to leave. He prayed for them specifically that they would be one. And then he prayed for us as well. And this is what he prayed in John 17, 20 to 26. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples that were with him in person at that day. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may may be in them. Those were his words for us. When you hear them, something stirs within you, doesn't it? That there's a unity that we can have in him. There's a completeness that we can have in him. And whether it makes you think of utopian society or or all of us getting along in such a deeper, meaningful way, to me it sparks ideas of revival in our community. Sparks revival in our community where people see who we are and they go, that's not normal. There must be a God or something bigger than them that is helping them live like that because that's not how people in the world live. The revival that we would love to see in Cornwall is dependent on a few things. Number one, that we are deeply transformed by the love of God through Jesus. We are deeply transformed by the love of God through Jesus. Number two, that our relationships are deeply transformed by the love of Jesus. And then three, that our purpose is unified in glorifying God, loving him, and loving others. 
See, one of the most amazing miracles that there is is the fact that Jesus could take 12 disciples who under any other circumstances would not have done life together. And over three and a half years, he cultivated meaningful relationships with them, relationships that held them together, united in their beliefs, purpose and submission, even in death. There was a zealot among them, someone who was so, so passionate about seeing the Messiah come that they were ready to become a revolutionary army to see it happen. There was a tax collector among them, someone who had basically sold out his culture and his religious identity in order to make money with the Romans. There was a fisherman or a group of fishermen, common folk, businessmen, middle class. There was a doctor. There's no way they could have even have liked each other, let alone be one in Christ, except for the very fact that there was Jesus. The very distinctions, the very things that said, this is who I am. This is what makes me me, the way I live. Those would have been at the very center of the disagreements that would have torn them apart. What if the very things that are threatening to pull us apart are because the enemy knows that the unlimited redemptive potential of the church, if we truly function as a family, as one? What if he's fine with us getting teaching as long as it doesn't translate into personal transformation? We can take as many classes as we want. We can watch as many videos online if we want. We can go to as many messages as we want. But if it doesn't lead to the personal transformation, our enemy is going to be fine with that. We truly need to live with meaningful relationships in the church. And so what makes a meaningful relationship? That's a great question for us, isn't it? If we, this is what we need in the church to continue to show his love, we can talk today about meaningful relationships being this. Meaningful relationships are with fellow followers of Jesus we enjoy being around and desire to, come, to become like in at least one aspect of their Christ-like character or spiritual gifting. And you go, how does that help us be a resilient follower? How does that help us grow in meaningful relationships? The first one, enjoy being around. What does that mean? This takes continued submission to God and humility regarding one's own self. Why would, you say, why would I say that? Because it's easy to be around people who are exactly like you. It's not hard to be around people who enjoy the exact same things as you do, have the same hobbies as you do, maybe have the same, uh, same profession as you do. Your worlds so overlap that talking with them and hanging out with them is natural, but it's so much harder to hang around, be around, be in connection and relationship with someone who is different than you, someone who has come from a very different walk in life, someone who has a di very different economic status than you do, someone who has, whose experiences in life are so radically different than yours that the connection points are like, oh, you went there, so did I. You know this person, so do I. None of it connects. There's seemingly nothing that would pull you together. It's not easy, 
enjoying being around each other in those moments, is it? When we look at somebody and we say, I really can't see what they have to offer me in a relationship. How I'm going to enjoy being with them. But when we humbly live in submission to God, we can hear, we can listen, we can look and see others. And what we see is that they're full of God's grace. And often they're full of exactly what we need to stay submitted and to stay humble. They're full of everything that I need to not see myself bigger than what I really am to see myself more important than what I really am. And I can enjoy them because they help me be who God has truly created me to be. In James 1, 19 to 20, it says, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And we may sit there and think, oh, I'm not, I don't get angry. I don't get angry. But do we shut people out? Do we turn people away in our hearts because they're different? They don't fit in. They may have said something that was objectionable to us. They may do things that we don't quite see yet how they are moving towards God in their relationship with him. Some of their actions don't quite live up to the, where we are in our righteousness with God. And so we, we step and push back. There's almost an anger to us where we go like, oh, nope, they gotta be separate from me. When we pause, listen, extend patience and grace with truth, not anger, we will live in the righteousness of God in our relationships. We should look for the why behind words, the why behind actions, because in that why, we will find our compassion for them. We'll find our understanding. We'll find our path forward. And we'll find enjoyment in our relationships. So what about the second one? Desire to become like. The disciple Matthew was administrative. John, he was, he was shepherding. Peter was faith-filled. Simon was a passionate man of action. And later, Barnabas was an encourager. If we remember, we've talked about it before, that we all see others in the world through the, the lens of our experiences, talents, and spiritual gifts. Everything you've been through, everything you're good at, everything God's gifted you with, that's the lens that you're going to see the world through. But that's your lens. Somebody else was going to have a different lens. And it takes all of our perspectives to come together and make this work. Because this means we look at the same issue, but we see problems and solutions differently. Somebody who's administrative may see a problem and go like, we just need to like work this out. We need to sit down, process it, figure it out, put down a chart of all the pros and cons of everything going on. Somebody with an intercession gift is going to be like, we just need to get on our knees and God will provide the solution. And one will disregard the other in their actions before, for finding a solution rather than say, you know what, these are both needed. 
Intercession is needed for the gift of administration to be fully realized where the right solution comes to them as they sit down to process it. It's not an either or. It becomes a both and. But we don't want to do that in our hearts. We reject the other and say, no, 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 this is the right way to do it. Your way, that's what results is that in the process. Because when I get on my knees and I listen to God, it's like trying not to fall asleep. Because that's not my gifting. That's not my, where I sit and, and I really flourish. We need each other. We need to find areas that may not be in our strength and our spiritual gift, but we can grow in by learning from others that do have them. You need to grow in serving. Go hang out with somebody who serves like nobody's business. Somebody who does it without recognition, just loves to put their head down and help people. You'll learn how to serve. Need to learn to grow in administration? Find somebody with the gift of administration and just learn how their brain just processes things and helps things become more efficient. And you'll grow in that. You need wisdom? Just be smart. Go find people where wisdom seems to flow from them and just learn from them. Talk to them. Ask them questions. And your answers will come. And if you have these gifts, don't be like, no, no, I just need to serve by myself. I, don't, I can't have you walking beside me in this because this is something I do by myself. Maybe they need to learn to grow in this. We need to share them. These gifts aren't for you. They're through you, for the body. Now, Jesus modeled this. And he desires and he prays that our individual differences show that God is present and working in us and through us. Politicians have slogans, right, all the time. And one of them that we can hear often in our country is this, diversity is our strength. Now, it's close, but it's missing something, isn't it? It's missing something that we can't take for granted And that's this, diversity in unity is our strength. Diversity unified in Christ is our strength. Because diversity by itself will just lead to conflict. You like it this way, and you like it that way, and you like it a different way, and you like it a different way. How are we all going to get together and make this work? But when we are united in Christ and say, what does Jesus want? What does love require? All of a sudden we find our unity in him. Christ is our strength. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up pity that anybody in our congregation could fall and there would be no one to help them up. Shame on us if we can live like that and think it's okay. There's a joint responsibility on both sides though. On both sides to seek out the relationship of purpose that become meaningful relationships takes both sides. Sometimes it takes you going in humility, I need help. 
and knowing that this is a safe place to need help. And on the other side, when somebody says, I need help, you put up your hand and say, I can help. So why are these essential to us sharing in the story of how God is at work at Life Center? And what do I mean by that? That was our third point. How do we see revival happen in our community? Why is this important? Followers of Jesus develop resiliency by cultivating connections, belonging, admiration, and close relationships in their local church. Did you know that when they did this study, they found that almost 90% of those who were resilient in following Jesus, they had meaningful relationships at the church they were a part of. When it went to people who attended church regularly, served, but didn't see, they didn't see as having meaningful, or didn't see as resilient disciples, less than 50% of them said they had meaningful relationships at church. For those that were deconstructing their faith, trying to pull it all apart and see what it really was and and everything like that, and often were losing their faith, it dropped to less than 20% said they had meaningful relationships. And those who had left the church and weren't really attending said it was in single digits. Single digits of the, the percentage of them was so low that they had meaningful relationships. It wasn't hyperbole to say it was a miracle that the disciples were unified. It's not at all. Because the only way to be unified is to be unified in Christ. It takes, it is supernatural because it takes the fullness of the Spirit moving in our midst to make this a reality. It takes the fullness of us in our submission to the Spirit to make this reality. When we look at the disciples' lives, we see two elements that's needed to be, that needs to be reiterated. The first one is this, personal rootedness always precedes corporate revival. If we want to see a large scale or a bigger revival in Cornwall, where churches across the city are starting to fill because they find Jesus, it's going to take a personal revival, a personal rootedness in Christ. Each disciple fixes their focus on following Jesus. This is what it means to be rooted in Christ. Where our eyes on nothing else around us but on him and going, how do I keep following him? How do I look more like him every day? And from this rootedness, Jesus can form how discipleship looks with others that are different than us. This is our being transformed by God's love, deeply transformed by God's love. We focus on God so clearly in everyday tangible ways through our spiritual disciplines and that in growing growing completeness, this becomes a posture that we see others through. When we live that way so much and allow God to transform us when we take our eyes off Jesus and look at others, we don't see them in their brokenness. We see them with the lens of Jesus. We see Jesus inside of them. And we love them. Said plainly, our focus on God insists, 
insists that we look at others through that lens. When we look at each other, we see Jesus. The gospel in individual hearts, cities and nations is transformative. Yet for there to be transformation, a moving of the spirit requires a willing heart, then unity of transformed hearts to touch the heart of their city. Now, personal rudeness always becomes before revival. And her second thing is personal rudeness reveals relational problems. Pete Scazzaro, a pastor in New York City, accurately said this, that spiritual maturity and relational health are linked. One can't be relationally dysfunctional or unhealthy and call themselves spiritually mature. What do I mean by that? You can't be emotionally immature and call yourself spiritually mature. You know how that makes sense? You can say you love Jesus, you're following Jesus, but you're immature in how you treat people. As soon as they say something that offends you, your immaturity says, fine, I can't believe they talked to me that way. That's, That's emotionally immature for an adult to react that way. Instead of saying, God, help me to understand their perspective and why they're lashing out at me. Help me to see what you see that I can't see. Why are they... Why are they acting this way? And how can I be a part of loving them? That's much more re- mature way to respond. If we did that with our children, think of if we did that with our children. Every time they acted out towards us, we acted out towards them. But when we do that with each other, we think that we're still being mature when we're not. There's a maturity that we need to grow into as adults something that maybe has been stagnant in our relationships, in our culture, that God won't accept. That he says, you need to grow up, both spiritually and emotionally. Again, I'm speaking to myself too. I'm I'm preaching to myself. Don't think that I'm up here on a bully pulpit. Another author once famously remarked that everyone is normal until you get to know them. Many of you probably thought that about me, didn't you? You're like, ah, he's pretty normal. And then afterwards you're like, "Mm, maybe not so much. (laughs) This is giving me troubles today. If your relationship with those around you are broken or unhealthy, your gospel story will not be understood. They will not see God in you. If you act immaturely around them, it's going to be hard for them to say, man, I see the grace of God growing in them daily. And this can happen when you don't have the skills needed to form healthy relationships with those around you. Because it can be easy to say, hey, we should all have meaningful relationships, all get in small groups. And then you all destroy each other in your small groups because you don't know how to act in small groups. You don't know how to get along and treat each other fairly and, and, and uh, have those relationships. Do you know how to respect people? Do you know how to listen to people? Truly listen. Do you know how to give boundaries? Do you know how to honor boundaries? Do you know how to share sacrificially? Do you know how to love? Do you know how to be patient? To not be jealous or brag, but be humble. Do you know how to be honorable? 
to be others-focused, to be peaceful. Do you know how to be forgiving and truthful? Do you know how to protect, trust? Do you know how to have hope and persevere? If you do, then Galatians 5 says, your love will not fail. For it will be the love of Christ. And that is where our relationships are transformed by Jesus. When we have those things, when we can say that we are, our love is patient, kind, gentle. It is forgiving. It keeps no record of wrongs. When we can live like that, we reach spiritual maturity and emotional maturity. People who describe their faith as resilient find meaningful relationships in a couple key ways. One, we need fellowship. Fellowship. People in our lives who share the same beliefs and missions. And if you're here today, and if you're a guest today, uh, we're so glad you're here with us today. And it may feel like I'm giving us a, a real lesson today, but we're so happy you're here. But if this is your regular, if you're a regular church, you have the same beliefs and the same missions. So you have fellowship with us. But we also need relationships. And this is people we are real with, and they can be real with us. Okay? It's people you can be vulnerable with, and they can be vulnerable with you, and know that it's a safe environment. They don't have to be your bestie, but they're people you can be safe with. The third thing is we need mentorship. People pouring into us who've learned a lesson or two. People who've been around the block in the areas that we haven't yet gone around the block on that can help us get there. And you'll have many mentors in your life. You have many different people from different walks of life and different strengths that need to pour into you. And the fourth one is we need friendship. We need one other person, two other people that we're close to in life. We don't need 80, but we need at least one or two. Someone that we're so close with that knows us, that when we answer on the phone and we say, hey, they immediately know there's something wrong because they know the tone of our voice. We just need a couple of those people. Fellowship, relationship, mentorship, friendship. Not everybody here is going to fill all of those roles for you. But within this community, you can find someone to fill those roles. So to be a church where meaningful relationships can be cultivated, it's going to take this. Like I said at the beginning, it's going to take that we are deeply transformed by the love of God through Jesus. That our relationships with others are deeply transformed by the love of Jesus. And that our purpose is unified in glorifying God, loving God, and loving others. Each and every church where God has moved has allowed him to make them more like Jesus. May we find the freedom for revival in our submission to the will of Christ. Let me say that again. May we find our freedom for revival in our submission to the will of Christ. Early in this service, we voiced together a commitment to help raise a child in this house 
in the ways of God, to stand with a mother in her desire to be godly and to raise a godly daughter. What that takes is for us to live in a manner that shows Jesus is in us, in God, in Jesus, to bring about that complete unity. Loved ones, on this day of Thanksgiving, let us, be, let us remember to be thankful for those that he's put in our lives to help us grow in God because it is so much more than connecting dots. Today, are we thankful for those that are different in our lives? We may never become besties with everybody here, but we must always see each other as aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, And that means we sacrificially care for our family because they're our family and because each of, in each of them is the Christ we say is in us. So on a day set aside to give thanks from the bottom of our hearts, from my family to yours, from Life Center as a staff to you, with profound gratitude to each of you, we say thank you. Specifically, thank you for helping us see and be more like Jesus. We are truly grateful to you. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. God, may your love transform us so deeply on an individual level. But that's not enough because what affects us individually should affect us corporately. That our love for you should be seen in a love for each other that develops meaningful relationships. So God, we repent for where we haven't looked to see you in others. But we're so thankful for your grace towards us. And we're so thankful for each other. That we are stronger together. That we have the giftings that you have given us as a community to see you most glorified in our community and to make your name known. So God, we submit ourselves to you. We thankfully and humbly say thank you for the relationship that we have with you. And thank you for the people you've put in our lives to have meaningful relationships with. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.